was all a pipe dream. Watching bodyboarding up on TV. Deep at reef. G'day and welcome to the Riptide Bodyboarding Podcast, the home of bodyboarding. Thank you for joining us on episode 36. Yeah, that's right, 36 of our verbal journaling. And I'm your host, Luke O'Connor. Well, I have a very special guest with me today, ladies and gentlemen. He's a local hero and an international hero on many, many levels for many bodyboarders around the world. He's He's got white sandy hair and he's kept that through all of his life. Possibly a little bit of grey sneaking in there, but still the the uh, blonde beach bum that I've, I've always remembered and looked up to. He's one of Cronulla's greatest bodyboarders, if not the greatest. He's conquered many waves um, all around the world and especially in his backyard, winning the Shark Island Challenge in 2014. At a younger age, when he first burst onto the scene, winning the pipe comp in 2001 as a very young man. And he's also a huge inspiration for for myself and many other local Groms around the area and just a great bloke to have a chat to in the lineup and and absorb all his knowledge and wisdom. I'm talking to none other than the great and powerful Andrew Lester. How are you, Andy? <laughs> well, I'm pretty pumped up after that intro. Jeez, yeah, man. <laughs> that's Dude. quite nice. The sandy oh, blonde well, hair has definitely been taken over by the greys, but that's all right. <laughs> I think we're all going that way, mate. I keep looking at my hairline and I'm like, I swear to God I had hair close to my eyebrows, but I keep seeing more of my forehead and I'm like, where is that going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thinning and graying, but that's all right. Just yeah, definitely, mate. So what's, um, what's, what, what's been happening in life so far? Like how's, how's it all been treating you? Yeah, everything's going pretty good. Had, um, yeah, had, as you just touched on, a pretty enjoyable bodybuilding career. Uh, but more recently, uh, you know, got two beautiful kids, beautiful fiance, um, and work now gets in the way of surfing as much as I'd like. So, yeah, I kind of gotten into um, just the regular mundane nine to five working, a surf here and there on the weekends. Um, but life's pretty much taken up by kids now, um, which I absolutely love, and yeah, you know, I'm very grateful that I had that career as a bodyboarding prior, um, prior to this, but. Yeah, I wouldn't change what's happening now. So it's good. Yeah, that that that's um, but no true words have been said, man. Like I, I often think that and I'm only 33, but like you know, having one kid in the last two years and and seeing the sacrifices you need to make, waves suddenly become a second priority. And if you said that to me before I had a child, I would have laughed in your face and said like, <laughs> "Come on, mate! Like it's been it's been number one for a while now." But it is funny how you know the stages of life take you there, and I know. Before we went to air, I was only mentioning how many waves you have had, man. Like, you know, you you, you spent almost two decades at the top of world bodyboarding. And I'm serious when I say that. Like, pretty much from the mid to late 90s all the way into the mid-2010s, like, you were you were ripping and tearing. You know, I can even remember in a 2016 or 2017 Emerald Club comp, and we got to the final and I thought to myself, oh, I might have a chance against him here, you know, like he's, he's getting a little bit older, you know, I know he's still one of the world's best, but, you know, if I get the right ways, and I mean, me just wiping the floor with me and I'm like, man, there's just that, that, that different level, you know, like Andy, you've, you've, you've stayed at such a high level for so long. How did you do it, man? Like, how did you love bodyboarding for almost 20 years and stay right at the top? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess, um... Yeah, it's, I guess it's just that, the love of it, the love of um, 
that next wave, you know, always chasing after that next wave, no matter how good the wave you've just caught, you're always looking to, you know, to get another one, better one. Um, so I guess it's just that, just always, um, I used to always look internally and just like self-improvement. Um, I knew I was on a good wicket with the bodyboarding, like, you know, it's, it was a career that, you know, very few have got to do. So I knew I was on a good wicket, I guess, um, prolonging having to get a, 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 you know, in quotes, a real job always kept you on your toes and you knew that that day would come. So you just had to kind of milk it for as long as you could. But yeah, I think it was just, it was just the pure love of it. Like I just loved, loved catching waves, whether it was one foot, whether it was 10 foot, you know, I loved being out in the, I loved being out in the surf when it was just by myself, whether again, whether it was really small or if it was really big, just loved being in the ocean. It was just a, just a natural, a natural high of just being out there and wanting to improve. And I mean, I came through a generation of, you know, Ben Player, Ryan Hardy, Mitch Rawlins, Damien King, all these amazing Australian bodyboarders. And then you had, you know, Mike Stewart, who was the god, Tamega, and then a little bit closer to my age with Jeff Hubbard and Spencer Skipper and guys out of Europe that were all insane. So you always had these um, levels of people that you were trying to, uh, I guess, trying to improve so you could try and beat. So it was always, you were always looking, I was always looking to to um, work on something. Um, being here in Cronulla, we had awesome reefs. The beaches are pretty were pretty hard work, but that kind of helped being on the tour back in those days. It was pretty small waves. Um, but then we had obviously Shark Island, Suck Rock, and a few other spots that were just really good waves. So made perfectly for the bodyboard. Yeah, like, most certainly. I, I often look around at some of our reefs and our setups and think, you know, how did this little peninsula or, you know, bay, so to speak, um, get so lucky? But yeah. you know, going back to our beaches and, and going back to where it all began for you, I believe you might have honed your craft. And correct me if I'm wrong, at a small little patch of reefs that leads into a beachy called Hendo's down at the alley. <laughs> is that is that where you kind of crafted your skill and and you got those spins in the pockets down pat and those beautiful clean boosting rolls? Yep, yep. So there was a little um, we called it we called it the alley rip bowl, which is uh, it was a there was a channel, there was a, a pipe, a drain pipe, and it, the water would just trickle out of it. I don't think anyone ever actually knew where the water came from, but the water would continually run from this little pipe into the ocean, which would create a um, a constant channel constant so all the water would obviously come in you know, as rips do water comes in filters to where the deep water is and pushes back out so you'd con- you constantly have this left rip bowl called the alley rip bowl and um and that's where i grew up learned to bodyboard dave ballard drop need from like there um we've got amazing surfers a few years older than me who um who all learned there you know dog marsh oki used to surf it um andy king matt griggs these guys who are, who made it to you know ct and qs levels um so, you know, you, we would all be out there surfing it. And, yeah, you know, it was, it was such a fun a fun wave. It's like a left rip bowl. And even to this day, I would still, if I see a, a rip bowl anywhere, I'm straight on it, straight on it for a bodyboard. Like, absolutely love them. Um, and, yeah, and that's where I learned to to um, to do the quick spins and stuff because with rip bowls, you need to move, you need to move fast. It's, um, you know, you don't really draw out a lot of turns or anything like that. It's very um, instinctual. And that's where I learned to, to kind of do my pocket surfing, I guess. 
Uh, and with, when you talk about instinctual, do you ever feel like, you know, because sometimes I watch back on your footage and it seems like you can read the wave before it's even breaking. Do you get in some sort of flow state when you when you ride these type of waves and, and you just you let your mind rest easy and your body almost take over in a way? Exactly, yeah. There'll be sometimes where I'll, I'll forget what just happened almost. Um, like people will talk about a wave and I'll be like, I don't remember catching it. Because you, you do, you just kind of go into like a daze of just um, just letting, yeah, letting it be instinctual and just not realising what's happening. Or you're getting, you're halfway through like a flip or something going, hey, where am I, how am I getting here? Like last time I remembered I was like coming up to do like a, a quick spin and yeah, it's just... Um, it's a it's an unusual feeling sometimes where it just kicks in, but yeah, with those I found with rip bowls you can't you can't plan out a wave like you know if you're surfing a you know a reef or or somewhere that's um, you can almost predetermine what you want to do, but I've, I've found with rip bowls because their things change and move so quickly that they uh, that I had to just kind of adapt as things were happening, and it'd be like minuscule like it, you know point two of a second where you'd be into a spin and as you're coming out of the spin, you're kind of taking note, okay, that lip's falling there. So I'm going to have to either try and get straight back up for a roll. I'm going to have to change my angle to get around it, to get to the next section. Um, it's all these like minuscule things that, um, that you kind of throw in the back of the brain that, you know, over time, and this is, you know, doing this for 15 years, uh, it, you don't even think you'd like, you know, I said, you kind of, you blank out, like you don't think it just happens. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, yeah it's, no, pretty, no. it's an unusual feeling. It's good. Yeah, no, no, for sure. It almost goes autopilot. And, um, yeah. You know, I was only going, I was just thinking of that point you just raised then about having to be um, extremely quick through moves and, and linking it through a beach break. And I really feel there's a pattern in a, in, in a lot of um, professional athletes that come through the bodybuilding world and the surfing world, so to speak. And, and if you follow this um, process, so to speak, you know, naturally or um by by um you know by cause or like you know putting your mind to the job it it seems to be very successful like when when i when i look back on people who have started like yourself at a very um unpredictable beach break that you that requires uh fast twitch movements and just thinking ahead and making sure you're linking moves and getting that flow going you can then progress through your career and apply that skill set to any type of wave, and especially when you get out to the reefs, knowing that, as you stated before, you're going to get that same repeat wave. Not always. You know, the island's very unpredictable, but maybe one of your other favourite waves out at the Boat Harbour Reefs, which I won't name online, but, like, that kind of thing does its thing the same way every time, sucks kind of the same way. And then when you apply that process of, of just of of nailing quick moves in one foot slush and then put it to four to six foot waves and then six to eight foot waves and then 10 to 12 foot waves. It's almost like you're just scaling up and you're just using the power of that wave to your advantage more and more and more because you've learned to generate those powerful moves in such weak, pissy waves. Is is that something that, that you've kind of found over your career? Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Like practicing for, you know, going to Port Macquarie or Foster or some of these nice beaches. Um, this is just in the Australian part. Um, practicing for those comps where you where you go up there and you've got these beautiful A-frame, you know, four-foot waves. Practicing at Cronulla where it's, like I said, besides that rip pole, like it's, it's a pretty, you know, flat, straight 
um, beach. You go up there and it's just like heaven. You know what I mean? Like people going, oh, the surf's not that good. I'm going, are you kidding me? It's like <laughs> three foot. It's peaky. Like there's lefts and rights. You, I, wanted, I don't even want to go in my head. I just want to go free surf. Like the waves are pumping. So I think coming from like surfing kind of below average waves daily helped when I would go and compete because you know, I was always surfing better waves in the comps. Because, yeah, I was always, like I said, going to Port or Foster or all these places that have got really fun beaches or D-Bar or, um, I mean, don't even get me started with WA. Like, that is absolute heaven on earth. But, like, just these sick waves. So I was always, like, pumped to go surf in the comps because I was surfing better waves than I was going to surf at home. So yeah, I think that also insane. kind of helped. I was just in a, in a frame mind of, like, this is, this is sick. Like, this is good, fun waves. Like... Pump to get out there. When's my heat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so good to hear the froth though because, you know, a lot of people would turn up at those events and maybe be spoilt from the waves they've had at home yeah. or around the world and then kind of turn their nose up to them where you, obviously where you've carved your success, Andy, as has been that positive, let's go surfing, it looks amazing out there, getting the water vibe compared to say, you know, and I've been guilty of it too, man. You know, like there was a stage where, I didn't surf a bodyboard. I didn't surf, sorry. Yeah, I didn't surf a um, beach break on a bodyboard for for almost years because yeah. we were just so spoiled at home with all the different reefs and the ability to harness all that power on the wave and just utilize it and never really honing back in the skill for almost like, oh, man, like half a decade almost of not going back to that 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 core process of, okay, it's got no speed here. We need to come down this face. We need to dig a rail in. You need to generate this. You know you come in here. You know you want to release your rail here. Like with a with a big powerful wave, you, you barely need even to think about that. You just need to know where the power pocket is and how to harness it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. And it's yeah, so, you know, it kind of could be the demise of, you know, the local bodyboard, like the Cronulla bodyboarding scene. It's just that, like you said, we're, we're spoiled with the reefs that, um, the fundamentals have been missed because they don't want to, like, you know, kids, which I understand, don't want to go out and surf the crappy waves to get those I know, but they, fundamental but they should, skills, though. They should, but no one's going to see that on Instagram. <laughs> well, no one wants to see that on Instagram. <laughs> I you know. know. It's, it's a that... different world. But it, it is. is. It's, it's just the world that we live in. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it sucks, but it is what it is, I guess. Like I said, that's why I'm very thankful that, came through the time that I did. Man, well, the attitude that which you displayed has obviously put you apart from all the rest of the Cronulla bodyboarders because if you look around at your generation, there was amazing bodyboarders, like amazing bodyboarders, but mm. all of them kind of probably didn't reach the heights that, not that they deserved, but they maybe could have reached because of their lack of interest in honing those vital skills, you know, those vital those vital processes because, you know, you went on to conquer the world, man. Like back in the back in the mid to um, late 90s, like you were really bursting onto the scene. And what was like the first kind of moment that you realised, you know, even outside of Cronulla, that this is going to be a career for me and, and I want to dedicate my life to it? Um, well, that's a tough question. I don't know if there was a – I don't think there was a time where I thought – I'm going to dedicate my life to it. I think when it became apparent that this could be a career path was um, when I 
I won the Australian tour my high school, my HSC year, the Aussie tour. And that was like a, you know, that was a really um, competitive tour. You know, we what was it tour. called then, Andy? I think it was just called the Aust- the Australasian Pro Tour, I think. Yep. Yeah, the Australasian Pro Tour. So that was in 98. So I won the, I won the cadets, the Aussie cadets, in like the Australian titles in 96 up at D-Bar. And I think that's when my, my parents thought, oh, okay, you might have a bit of talent here. Um, so they kind of started to get, a bit, not they weren't supportive, they were super supportive. Mum drove me up there. But um, I think that's when it kind of clicked in a little bit for them. And then, yeah, and I think then I won the Aussie tour in 98. And that's when like Bullet was still competing, Ben Holland was still competing, Wingnut was still competing on it. Um, obviously then like my generation of guys are coming through and doing it, Ben and Kingy and Toby and Ryan and and all that. Joel Taylor was um, killing it at that scene too. So yeah, so I think it was probably that year I thought, oh, finishing school, I don't want to go get a job. I don't want to be a trader yet or don't want to, you know, don't, don't want to do a trade and then Luckily enough, I had good support sponsorships here. I was when you were saying like that my generation within Cronulla didn't kick on. I was lucky. I had I had a good sponsorship. I had really good support. I think if there was more support around for for more guys, there probably would have been more guys from Cronulla come through. It's just that I was unfortunate that they had to, you know, join the workforce and then, you know, and then obviously being 18, 19, they start partying and all that kind of stuff. Who do you feel are the names, though, that, you know, with that extra added sponsorship could have made it to the dizzying heights that, that, that you reached? Um, oh, Ben Hall. I thought he was he's super, super naturally talented. Alex Mills, Murray Bell. Like, these guys were all sponsored. Murray, Murray had a pretty good drop near career. Um, Ringer got, he had heaps of covers. Um, Alex Leon had a pretty good career there. John Scholl, like, he was... A couple of years below me, but he was one of the most naturally talented guys I'd ever seen. Him Mate, and Winchester, I, him and Winchester could, was put. So, sorry to interrupt you, Andy, but I was I was about okay. to say I could not agree more with that. John Shell is 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 from the same ilk as you. You know what I mean? Like of being able to harness the yeah the tech side of things, man, and just bring it out. Like I can remember a Queen's Holiday out the island and just watching him do like a double spin into this like six foot peak one. And pretty much make it over the shocky and just get done over White Rock. And I'm like, I've never seen a person mm. do a double spin into a heavier <laughs> barrel and almost make it. Like you do one spin in, it's it's happy days. You know that spin you put yeah. up on your Instagram for all the listeners. Um, if you want to go back and look at Andy's Instagram, maybe I don't know, fifteen or twenty posts ago, you put up a video of Black Rock um, from oh, back yeah. in the early two thousands, and that spin yeah. you did into that barrel there was already barreling over you and you yeah. had the time that's what john chow was like doing so yeah i yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more he was a, an amazing talent, and obviously you know millsy and, and ringer and, and alex leon and that they were incredible you know they they had such skill and and such wave knowledge you know about to read those waves especially being from shark island one of the most unpredictable waves in the world but john for me was probably more suited to your style of bringing that real tech prowess you know yeah yeah john was john was john was really good at golf he was really good at afl he was great at soccer he was great at um you know pretty much anything that he wanted like he was a really naturally gifted person 
But yeah, I thought John, like, I mean, and he did have a, a pretty good career there for a little while. Um, but yeah, but then it's just like, and then it was just hard, I guess, with the industry, that support. Um, you know, it was only a, a few of us that were able to, to make a living from it. But well, yeah, there was, there was some good guys around. Not many people get put on Billabong from a young age, mate, and, and, mm. and hold that sponsorship for, you know, a lengthy part of your career. Like, how long were you sponsored by one of the biggest surf brands in the world? Yeah, that was um, that was an interesting way it came about. Um, but I think I was with them for about eleven years. Oh, amazing! Um, yeah, yeah, I know that was that was really that was a really special time. That was that was good. Um, but yeah, that came about. I was I used to ride for Cooter Lines and a local wetsuit company here, Wing Wetsuits, and yeah, Wing Wetsuits. Yeah, yeah. So they were good, and um, and it was around the Tahiti Skins time. And Epo, so with the Tahiti skins in 2000, it was a, I think the sponsors had to pay like your, basically paid spots for their team riders to get in. I think there was like, I don't know, say 20 spots or whatever and the different sponsors, like that's how that worked for the, for the skins. And that's what I think I saw when Hardy won, he had like a billabong rashi and a, t- and a tubes sticker like thing on his chest because a thousand of it went from tubes and a thousand went from billabong. Anyway, that's how that's how it kind of worked. So Manta were my sponsor, so they put me in, and wing and it was going to be. I can't remember actually who the other Manta guy was, but it was originally going to be Epo, and Epo was like, "Well, like I'm towards the end of my career, you know." He started working at Billabong, and he's like, um, "Give it to one of the young guys." So that's how I got luckily enough got into um, to the skins, which ended up being a bit of a, a life changing um, comp for me. Oh, so anyway, he went. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, super historical. Like, that was, that kind of started the, you know, the super tour, the bodyboard super tour that, you know, where we started to go to these good, good wave locations. Um, but yeah, so, and then, so with Billabong, so Epo gave me that. And then he, he had actually mentioned to them, he said he had mentioned my name to them. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, 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 Ballard's kind of, on his way out as well, so we might, might need someone down in that area. And then I got that one wave at Chope, like in the comp, and the photos started coming out, and they're like, yep, put him on. <laughs> so, yeah, and, so, and it was mid-year, so they used to do calendar year. A lot of other companies used to do um, financial year, you know, from you know, July to end of June. Billamong were January to December. So that came, that comp was in May, so it was right in the middle, but they were like, yeah, put him on. For a little bit this year and then you know we'll talk contracts at the end of the year so that and then so it was only about three weeks after that comp that i got the phone call from epo and then yeah again a life-changing phone call to go to billabong how did you and, feel mate like when you got that call from epo like obviously one of the the best bodyboarders in australia you know creating so many different moves like most famously the um air roll spin like you know like what yeah. was what was well, the feeling I mean, it was, I mean, it was amazing, but I had already had a pretty, like a pretty good relationship with Epo throughout our Manta, you know, earlier on. And I'd done a couple of trips with him and, you know, so I knew him like on a personal level as well. Um, so yeah, I, when he called, I, I was not expecting that. Would you, do you want to come and ride for Billabong? I, I actually, I didn't even know what I was expecting to call. Like it's kind of, it would have been unusual for him to call me, but yeah, I was just, a, I actually was kind of like, well, how do I tell how do I tell Wing and Cooter Lines? <laughs> that was my first thing. 
I was like, well, yes. And then I was like, oh man, how do I, how do I say that? But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the team that they had, Rawlins, Hardy, Andre, Lackey, like it was, it was sick. So much fun. Bo Day, like epic team. Oh, so, incredible, man. Like yeah. I, I, I can remember too, being a young Grom and seeing the sticker on your board and I, and, and just kind of going like, that's it. That's a surf brand. Like what, you know what I mean? And and obviously when I was younger, I didn't understand the, the politics or the, you know, division in the industries. And we moved forward with the article from Sarge and calling for all bodyboarders to have their heads taken off and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd kind of missed that obviously. And, and I've gone back over it now and realized why everything played out as it did. But, you know, at the time that's a status symbol to have that billabong sticker on your board. Like you look at, say at the world tour right now for surfing i don't want to you know compare oranges and apples but you look at um ethan hewing for example like he's got a billabong sticker on his board he's one of the greatest surfers at the moment for his rail game and you had that sticker also on your board putting you in that elite level like you don't mention rawlins and hardy and lackey in the same sentence without realizing that's, that's bodyboarding elite. Like, did you, mm. you walk around with that sticker proudly on your board? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it was a bit of a, it was like a status thing, but it wasn't so much like, um, it wasn't like an ego thing. It was just to have, like you said, like, you know, one of the surf companies, I guess, recognize you as, I mean, they could have had anyone in the sport. Really, like any at that stage, anyone would have put their hand up to ride for them. So I guess you just felt privileged, yeah, to have that sticker on. And and with it, like as as much as it sucked, I guess for for other people, it came with it came with respect from surfers as well. Like you um, having that sticker on the board, kind of gave you a little bit more, gave us a little bit more respect from surfers, which is kind of. I know it's kind of shit, but that's just how that's just how it was, and um, and like with the surf team that they had back then too, like you know they had Taj, Joel, Andy, um, like it was such a sick team as well. Like on the billabongs, they had like the best surfers, and they had the best body was. So it was, it was a really um yeah, it was a real privilege. Um, and the wetsuits were sick. <laughs> The wetsuits were so yeah. good. I was so lucky to be able to to wear them for that long. And did you get uh, one of? Actually, I, I I shouldn't even ask you because I do remember you wearing one. Those one of those um, blue, white, and black oscillators. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a few of those. They were sick. Yeah, yeah. With the white arm, like the little white kind of pin line down the. the yeah, arm. I swear to God, that's where Zion got their first inspiration for a couple of their um, prototypes and then their first range coming out. When I saw their suits and yep. I remember getting a, I remember getting um, a prototype off James Cates. I think he sold it to me for like a hundred bucks or something like super cheap, but it was one of the first of design. And the reason I bought it off him was because I think it was a size too small because Cates is w- way thinner and, um, <laughs> you know, not more in shape than me. And, he, and I remember just buying it because I knew the color combo, you know, had been spread around the world and it just looked amazing. I remember one of my really good mates, Ryan Hutt, also bought that wetsuit. Oh, yeah. Um, because of the colorway and I think because of you, man, because of like wrapping yeah. it around around the Shire. Like it was, yeah, 
Was, yeah. I, I don't want to harp on about Billabong, but it's just a really no. big thing. And you rarely ever talk to a bodyboarder who's had the experience on the surfing side of things too. You know, that, that's yeah. a real plus. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, earlier, Quicksilver were a big part of, went into a big part of bodyboarding too. Like that awesome team as well, the Quickie guys. Um, Who were they? Uh, ben, it was Ben, Ben Player, Garth, McGregor, Toby was on there. Um Murray was on there, Murray Bell. Teal Nippard. Yep. Um, Coxie was on there. Coxie. That is, yeah, that is, they had a really good team as well. And they got, like, they Quicksilver went really hard. Like, Dave Appleby was the team manager, and they were doing cue boards. So, Quicksilver's bodyboards. I don't know if you remember that, but they were doing cue I boards. Don't. Yeah, Mez made them. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, man. They, um, Quicksilver went harder. They did a, they did a, like a, um, they did a board short where the clip was on the side, so you wouldn't have. To, so when you laid down for bodyboarding, it wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't have the string. They did. Oh yeah. Yeah, they did wetsuits. They did the first wetsuits with a little bit of um, like padding on the elbows, like this kind oh, of. Yeah, yeah bodyboard. Yep, yep. Um, I can't remember what they were called. And that was pre. That was. That was before I got onto Billabong. That would have been late nineties. Yeah. Yep. Mitch wow. Rollins ride for them before he went to, and then Mitch. So when Mitch started blowing up, he had that big season. I think it was ninety seven, ninety eight Hawaii season. Yeah, he was on. He was on Quicksilver. No, yeah, he was on Quicksilver and Manta. And and then he went to Science. No, and then he, um, and then Quicksilver said, "All right, you got to make a decision. We want you to go one hundred percent Quicksilver and go Quicksilver boards, Quicksilver everything." And people were like, "Don't do it." So he stayed with Manta and, well, not don't do it, but like don't put, you know, don't put all your eggs in the one basket. Yeah, very smart. Um, yeah, and he went to, I think it was Manta, and then he went Billabong and Manta, and then not far after that, he went science. He may have even gone yeah. Billabong science straight away, but um, but yeah, he, was, he used to ride for Quickie for a bit and Manta. Insane. Yeah, it's so yeah, cool so, to hear all this. And then Ripcurl, like Ripcurl, Ripcurl, like all the major brands, they saw the potential of bodyboarding. Um, so they wanted to, you know, as such, Ed, we like bodyboarders took a whole generation of, of people and put them on bodyboards. So, you know, the surf brands weren't stupid in um, handpicking and putting a little bit in, but they were putting a little bit in. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, so, yeah, for sure. They'd be looking at their budget throughout the whole year. Yeah. It might be like 10, 15% or something like that. Yeah. But in saying that, they still support, like, I know a, a lot of people put shit on um, the surf brands for not supporting bodyboarders, but... They did. They did support us. They allowed me to compete, uh, you know, and travel, and they supported my lifestyle and my career. They did it for the, all the top riders. Like, if if Mitch and and all those guys didn't have and Ryan and that didn't have Billabong, they might not have gotten to the heights they got to because they wouldn't have been able to do the trips and and everything. So it's kind of like a double edged sword. Where, yeah, okay, they didn't put in as much as we would have liked, for sure, but they still sponsored. All the top bodyboarders. And also, um, too, you know, looking at it from a business standpoint, if you were to go with surfing and bodyboarding and see the market value, which at the time bodyboarding was booming, so I completely mm-hmm. understand that, but looking at the history of both the sports, and I mentioned this on the podcast numerous times, it's such a young sport, especially in the, in the 90s. It was, only, it was only around, you know, 25 to 30 years old. So you have that a little bit of hesitation I would think from those big brands going well hang on a second surfing's been 
you know, it's it's cemented itself here for a certain period of time. We can see the market. We can see the trends. It's still booming. Where bodybuilding's come on the scene, it's boomed. But will it hold, you know, is yeah. it just a fad or, or will it hold its place in the sporting world? And, you know, in my opinion, it, it, it has. It's gone through some crazy turbulent times. And I know it's probably not broadcasted to the rest of the world as it should be sometimes. It is getting better, but I'm just saying the last kind of five years or so. But, you know, maybe they were looking at it going, well, hang on a second. It's a bit of a risk going all in here. Let's just hmm. see what we're doing and then reevaluate in, in, you know, a decade's time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you had the Tahiti comp, um, mm-hmm. huge one for you, straight into Billabong after that. And then how did your career start skyrocketing from there? Um, so, yeah, so that was around 2000. Um, so it must have been so – was, so that was May 2000 was the, um, the Tahiti skins. And then the following January, so what? Six months later is when I won pipe. So I went from, was it that soon or maybe it was the year after? No, it would have been that year, 2000. So yeah, it I kind think, of just, so I it think went. by the Body Body Museum website, which I looked at mm-hmm. earlier today, it said 2001, but that could be. Yeah, but I think it was the, I think it was the 2001. Oh, 2020, because, 2000, 2001. Yeah, because they used season. to run, that's right, because they used to, um, the pipe comp used to be on in January. Yes, you know of course I mean. it's 2001, but it's still mm. kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we would finish it um, in January. Like, you know, it was the middle of January. Because I'm thinking 2000 and I don't think I was 21. I wasn't 21 because I couldn't, I couldn't celebrate <laughs> legally. <laughs> oh, no way. So I hadn't turned 21 yet. Yeah. Oh, heavy. What happened there? Oh, yeah. It's had, we had beers afterwards at the house. Um but yeah, so so just to get back to the time frame, so yeah, so from, went from Tahiti Skins in in the April or the May, got the Billabong, um, had a good Shark Island um, comp. That was the year before the I think that must mean the year before the big year. But I still um, still did pretty good there and got some good photos and stuff. And then yeah, and then with the World Tour, I got second in Reunion, um, which was the second last comp, and then I won the Pipe comp. So kind of within almost, and prior to that, I'd done a few Walter events, but hadn't really got past many rounds. And then it just went kind of boom, boom, boom. Like I got um, beaten by Hardy in a count back in the semi-final at the Skins into like a second of a World Tour event in Reunion, which I think was in October, into um, winning the Pipe event. Yeah, in January. You must have felt on top of the world. Yeah. Oh, massively. Massively. Yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Crazy. So mm. you've won the pipe comp, you've celebrated, you've had a good time, you've had a successful Hawaii season. And then what's next for Andrew Lester? Um, and then what happened? And then it started and then it started getting onto the grind of the world tour. I can't I don't I came set I've got another second. So I finished the I finished the world tour coming second to Paulo Barcelos. And I think because I had done not so well in the previous events of that year. It ended up being like our. Um, it was the close. It's the closest point differentiation between first and second. So I like came second by the closest of margins, which I mean, I still came second. But um, so yeah, so I finished second in the world, and then I kind of you know finished around that top five for the last a few years after that. Uh, 
I came second again, I think again in 2004, maybe, three or four. Epic. And what were you doing at home during this period? Like, obviously, you were growing on the world tour and... and yeah, um, world and... tour, Aussie tour, um, trying to do... And that's when, like, started doing the, the photo trips um, as well. Like, you'd fit photo, try and do photo shoots in. Um, you know, it was before social media, so you'd try to do... You'd do trips for magazines and three months later, it'd come out. I'd try and shoot with Paul Gleason, who was a who's an absolute legend. Um, Gleason, he was a he would shoot photos and do video. Um, you know, we were surfing. Um, we were surfing at at um, um, Cornell and that there by that stage too. So we're doing little secret trips out there. Um, yeah, how just, are you managing just... that, Lester? You know, I, I don't want to go too heavily into the Bra Boys and the whole scenario out there, but you know, how did you guys? at a pretty red hot time manage that sort of time in the water out there? Um, well, there was only a couple of us that would surf it just cause it was pretty full on. Um, we just didn't like, just didn't take photo. just didn't take cameraman there. Like it was people, people knew about it, but everyone just thought it was unsurfable. So until we're surfing it and then, you know, and then came out in tension and then people started to ask questions where this wave and that's how it blew up. But Is we this had a, Cape, had a, Cape Lefts, Middles? Yep. Yeah. All, all of that. Yep. Cape. Yep. Um, the left, the left I thought was going to stay quiet for a while and I think it did. Um, but then, yeah, you rock up on a north swell and you, well, a certain swell direction you see it. It's just, it's right in front of you. <laughs> oh, but yeah. And the way that national park's been developed too, it's not like it's going to stay too low key for too long like it's yeah a, that's right and it's a tourist attraction yeah and it's right in the middle of sydney like it was always going to happen but so yeah so so at that time just surfing just trying to surf as much as possible really um just trying to get better like you know i hadn't won a world title um actually i got the world games i won the world games in 2004 the isa world games which was awesome um, where was that held that was in ecuador i think it was 2004 yeah that would have been a sick trip Oh man, the World Games like it's it's becoming more popular now. The ISA Games it's becoming more popular now because of the surfing. It's a it's a way into the Olympics. Um, but the ISA Games it used to be. Uh, I think there was four surfers, four like shortboarders. Two there was two men bodyboarders, um, a female bodyboarder, a longboarder. And, and two women, like, short boarders. And you're a team, like an Australian team. And it, like, you know, it used to happen for a long time before, and then they started, like, dividing it up. I was lucky enough to do two of them. I did the 2004 one in Ecuador, um, where, I got to, where I won the bodyboarding one, and we, Australia won the team, as a team. So that because I won. such a cool experience. Oh, man, it was epic. Um, I automatically got to go into the next one. But yeah, that was, it's absolutely insane. Like because surfing is such an individual sport, um, you're literally a part of a team. Like you stay together. We did, it was just when the, um, the, the Surfing Australia Elite um, Training Centre had been opened up at Casharina, up in the north, north coast. Yeah. Um, so that just, that just opened. So we got the like beautiful brand new facilities. We're training there. We all flew over, um, stayed in this hotel. And you're just a team, like everyone's down there supporting each heat and it was just epic. And I think that was one of my probably um, 
it, it kind of sucked because it was like the ISA game, so it wasn't like on the full world world level. Um, but in the final, like there was good guys. I think it was Nicholas Capdeville was in the final, Yure Martinez from Canaries, and another guy, another that the other Spanish guy. I can't think of his name. Anyway, um, so it was elite level, like in the final, and it was just it was like a like if you could dream up a scenario to win like a world title or, a, or a, in this case, a world, a world um, games medal. It was the perfect scenario. Like needed a, needed a mid to high seven, you know, with a couple of minutes to go. It was a long left point break, like a long left. It was kind of like a rip bowl, but it was, it was like a point break. Um, and it was just a dream scenario. And, and then, you know, with, a, with about a minute and a half to go, Actually, no, it was even shorter because I heard the hooter go while I was still halfway on my ride. But anyway, like at the last minute, got a wave and just went to town on it and got like a, a high eight and won the gold from coming fourth to first. It was just like, it was just like and because and like I was still riding when the hooter gone, so you had to wait on, like, so I got to the beach and everyone was like, so I had my Australian team around me like in the water and they like called out the score and it was just like the most... Oh, the emotion, and it was just, oh, it was epic. So good. Do you remember like, what see, you did on the wave, Andy? Um, yep, I took off. It was, a, it, was a long, it was a long left point break. Um, I took off, I did, a, I did a forward takeoff, and then as it closed out, um, did, a, did a roll and then landed, kind of closed out a bit and then reformed. Um, a few spins, an invert, another spin, and then like a flip. And like it was kind of a, yeah, but it was kind of a dodgy flip, but a flip regardless. And then, like I said, it was a long, it was a long left, um, and then a like little roll on the closeout in the shorey. So yeah, oh. it was like I like I milked it, went to town on it. Um, Dude, that's all those alley rip bowl days just yeah, coming back. Eh? Exactly, exactly. It was kind of like the the pinnacle of like my competitive surfing in a way, because it was just like everything, and it was so cool because like I said, the whole team were around me. Um, I was surfing with Bo Day. He was the other bodyboarder. Kira Llewellyn was the was the um, a female bodyboarder. But just being embraced by like the surfers, the longboarders, like it was just it didn't like you weren't a bodyboarder or you weren't a surfer. It was, you were part of the team. And like I'm even getting emotional now about it. It was just like it was the absolute best. Dude, um, I, I you know I haven't been unfortunately I haven't been part of a, a win like that, and it does sound amazing because you, you make a very valid point. It is an individual sport, you know, bodyboarding and, and surfing, but um, you can just tell by that format. And it's been stated on a couple of um, different podcasts and media organizations that I, that I kind of follow and listen to, especially the Swellians um, in the surfing world, where they've spoken about that format, you know, as a, as a, as a board riders comp, even on a local mm-hmm. level, yep. you know, bringing those teams together and having uh, – having the point score tallied up, it, it, it makes it a full team sport. It makes it exhilarating because, you know, you're always counting numbers and you've got to be strategic and send certain people out at certain times and, and all this kind of stuff. And just the way that format sits in those sports, especially in individualistic sports, I think it's a full winner. And, you know, from you saying your recount there and then, you mm. know, to, to just – board rider battles that I've been a part of and, and not just individually focusing on someone, but the team essence of it, that's, that's, you know, that's what almost being a human is about, you know, coming yeah. together, working together and getting the job done. Yeah, exactly. 
and that's the thing like they're long days because you're down there you might have a heat in the morning but you got to wait all, all like for the rest of the day because you got your teammates who are surfing and then with with those with those particular comps they've got a repercharge comp so if you get knocked out you go into the repercharge and you can make it through the repercharge and get back in to the final at the end but you've got to surf almost twice as many heats if you're in the repercharge So wow it can be like they're grueling days like they're long they're i think they're seven day events or six day events or something like they're long long days but like it's just sick the, the next time i went we went to california we had it at huntington and that was sick that we actually got really good ways for it surprisingly like i always thought huntington beach you know here at the huntington hop it's a bit roughish we got a we yep got really fun fun beaches um like really peaky barrels offshores it was really good um And that was sick too. I ended up, I came third to that on that. Um, but that was sick too. And like, again, we had a really good team. We had Julian Wilson in that. We had Tom Whittaker, um, Luke Stedman. Um, we had another good guy. Harley Ingerby was the longboarder. Jesse Miley Oh, Guy yeah. was the, was the girl surfer. She was, Jesse was the surfer in, um, in Ecuador too. So yeah, it was just, and then we had Ben Gull was the bodyboarder from, it was a, it was from, he's originally from South Africa, but, um that moved to australia and then kira was the girl body water too so yeah it was just it was just a good time you know like it's just again it was just um you know it wasn't about being a body water or a surf it was just sick times so yeah Yeah, I, I really man. enjoyed those those isa games i wish they were um uh not uh, more popular but i wish they still did them Yeah, yeah, no, no, for, for sure. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I know, um, I know Slater competed in one only like maybe two years ago from just watching that series online Yeah, that yeah. um, make or break. But I think it is only just for surfing at the moment. It doesn't That's include for the Olympics. bodyboarding. Yeah, no, it's Oh, for the... is that for the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. So now for the ISA, that was part of it. So they've, um, it's the International Surfing Association. So that's the way to get into the Olympics. So Oh, okay. I think they've got I didn't like realize. the, yeah, yeah. So they've got um, the teams. I don't know exactly how it is, but I think the teams win because Japan, I think, won. So now they get two surfers to go in. I think um, Australia get a couple of surfers. So I think you can get in through the... tour like the um ct the wct and then and then there's the isa game so some some people i think have already qualified for it because they they've done well in the isa games Yeah, okay, yeah and all their points get tallied up and then that, that obviously gets um, kind of yep collated at the end and, yeah, they're the winners. Wow, yeah, okay, cool. That's, that's good to know. Again, that's really, you know, for all bodyboard enthusiasts out there and especially um, Benny Oborn, who I was speaking to only last week in regards to getting the ABA back up and going and just, you know, what are we going to do next in regards to competitive bodyboarding here in Australia and also tying with the IBC and making sure we can... trying to get a vent out here on this big desert island of a continent we call Australia. But, um, you know, I hope everyone is, is, is kind of taking ideas from that because really, like, they're the sort of formats that reinvent a sport and get it back to where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if there's an opportunity, you know, down the track for bodyboarding to get into, um, into the Olympics. I mean, that'd be pretty sick, but Oh, yeah. so good. At a wave pool, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But see, I, I haven't seen a wave pool really yet, really yet that, um, that still caters to the, to bodyboarding. Yeah. Like it's still for, you know, Waco, not, I haven't surfed that. I've only surfed the urban surf ones, but they're not, 
like the barrel, but it's a it's a small barrel and it doesn't it still doesn't really cater to what the bodyboarders can do because with the surfing because it's a bit smaller they can still pump and they can now they're the ones that are doing the the explosive big airs and all that and that was kind of like what set the bodyboarders apart was the you know it was the, the heavy barrels but also we could do the big airs. Yeah, Far it almost seems guys, like yeah. What what the surfers are doing now with those big airs? We need again now we need to try and find something a little bit different to to show what we can do. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I I think that all the time. Like that's why I used to love bodyboarding so much when I was younger. And then in my later years, taking to surfing a little bit more, obviously because yeah. the time constraints and be able to just go out whenever. But seeing, you know, I can't do airs, but seeing when I was younger, seeing the difference between surfing and bodyboarding was always we can do airs, we go heavier waves. But now surfing's kind of caught up, and we're yeah. in that limbo stage of like, what are we going to do next? You know, like where is that? And hopefully, it is through, you know, not just wave pools, but other inventions i know those winches are becoming quite popular um you know and all those towers i'd love to get one of those winches man imagine just going down to boat harbour for the day on a northerly Mm -hmm. up on that you know that end of bay bay there in cronulla and just finding a two-foot closeout and just going to town (laughs) yeah you'd want to see a chiropractor afterwards (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i'd want to do it but it'd be good to watch yeah, yeah, bloody earth. I remember the TOCOMs back in the day too. There were some oh, yeah. local South Coast ones. I remember, I think you were in one, weren't you? We did one at, yeah, we did one at, um, at Cronulla Beach. It was in the waiting yep. period for the um, for the island. It was back when the island had, the Shark Island Challenge had a six-week window. So Human yeah. sponsored it and they had a, like a few different things going on and they had a TOCOMP, but you know, 70% of us had never done toe-outs before. So <laughs> it wasn't really a spectacle that they were probably hoping for it to be because most of us didn't know what to do. But, yeah, um, it's, it's it's a very different way to ride a wave, you know, getting whipped in and getting your angles correct and even knowing oh, yeah. what side of the wake to be on behind the yeah. jet ski. Well, that's right, exactly. Like a lot of that, and a lot of it is dictated by the driver as well. But yeah, exactly. I mean, you come flying in at that thing and that section comes to you really quick. But yeah, 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 there's there's little different things, but yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, definitely. And I've I've seen you surfing a fair bit lately, Andy, you know, like going back on your Instagram after you've um, recovered from your broken foot and you're sending buckets, mate. Like you, um, (laughs) you love me back in the water. I am. It's, It's like what you said, like with the time, you're so restricted, like, you know, parents out there. And we're, we're like, we've got, like we've spoken about, we've got really good reefs, but a lot of them, you know, it takes from, from parking a car sometimes to being in the line, it might take you 40 minutes. So, yeah. you know, if I've got an hour to surf, I'm not spending that much time parking and, you know, getting out there. So, yeah, I do surf um, a bit, but yeah, I, and I just like, you know, I love just being out in the ocean. It's, you notice, you notice you miss it when you can't do it. And I've had two well, three pretty serious injuries, but two of them were pretty bad. One, my shoulder. Um, I did my AC joint uh, in COVID, so they couldn't operate as well because it wasn't, um, you know, it was considered elective surgery because it would heal by itself. So that was a long recovery with my shoulder. And, you know, obviously bodyboarding doesn't, isn't the, doing airs or anything like that's not the best for your shoulders at the best of times. So that was difficult. And then coming back and then surfing the island, it was only my second surf back out the island and then I broke my foot quite severely. So, um, yeah, it's, it was nice to get back in the water and even, you know, and I, I do like, I do love surfing. I, I really enjoy it. It's something where I can, I'm constantly trying to improve. So I've been able to, um, 
to yeah, you know, just keep keep me in the water and and trying to improve. Even at forty two, you're still always thinking that your best surfing days are ahead of you. Um, whether it's that's so good though, isn't it? Or... Like, what an epic mind frame to be in to be like, I can always get better. I can always go out there. Yes, my you know my my youth and my metabolism, my my muscles may not be you know um, mm. at their peak level when I was in my twenties or early thirties, but when you know, like you, you just go out there with still the froth, and you know, yep. throughout this whole conversation, I can just tell that you, 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 the reason you've been so successful, man, you've harnessed that froth and that mental mind frame of just being keen to be in the ocean, and that's what it's all about. It's not a job; yeah. it's a, no. it's a way of life, you know, and yeah. and you live it every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like, you know, so and especially with my career, you know being able to look back on it now and as I said before this podcast started I'm actually going through some of the old my old resumes and old magazines and things um there was some mags and that from back in the 90s that were at my parents house and I'm just going through and kind of reliving it again like it was so fortunate so loving but like and like everyone like they would have I would have done it regardless but I was just lucky that I got to do it a lot more you know in the day-to-day lives back then um but yeah I still I still froth on it yeah, yeah. The, the mind's still young. The body's <laughs> it's giving up. But, yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, like I said, like he's still got a. You know, I've got a surf trip coming up in a few months to Secret Sumatra. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and I, I just cannot wait. Like Dean, who owns it, um, you know, I've known Dean for almost thirty years now, um, from the northern beaches, and I just cannot wait to get over there. You know, I'm starting to get my my boards ready. Like I'm taking a few surfboards. I'm taking a bodyboard. I've got the GoPros. You know, I'm just like, and I'm going with like good mates like Ben Wombs and Ben Hall and, and these guys, Coxie's going and um, Alex Mills and we're just all so pumped. You know, we're not trying to get crazy heavy barrels and that anymore. We just want to go over and have fun, but we're still like, you know, if it turns on, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to not go. So, no, um, especially with your resume and then the, the people that you just mentioned and, and yeah. their resumes in, in the water. I don't think, you know, if you see a 10-foot swell pop up, you guys aren't going to go out uh, for a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, really excited for that. And this will be my first trip. I haven't done a surf trip in, oh, uh, it's been almost nine years, 10 years since I've done a surf trip. Really? So, like dedicated some time dedicated off? Dedicated surf trip, yeah. Away. So I had a trip, we did have a trip, well, I had a trip planned seven years ago and then there was a, and um, it was around the time that my son was going to be born. When I was actually going to be a lot earlier than what my son was due to be born, my first son. But then there was a few things happening with the pregnancy. So we're like, oh, and he ended up like, anyway, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to go on it. Um, in hindsight now, he, he still didn't come that, that early. So I could have gone and come back, which is pretty frustrating. But um, so, yeah, so that was a surf trip that I had to pass up. And then this trip that we're actually doing now um, was planned three years ago. We missed out getting out of the borders by three weeks because of COVID. So oh. I got pushed back. Yeah. So it's just been, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, you know, and then, you know, kids and all that kind of stuff and life gets in the way. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a long time coming. So I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, man, you should be, especially mm. Secret Sumatra. Like I, I haven't been myself, but I'm looking to go with a couple of mates, hopefully, Damien Miller and, and Luke Mason um, oh, yeah. at the start of next year. But um, yeah. like from all reports, you know, especially yeah. one of my, my really good mates and, and boss, Sean Cooper, like he's been there a couple of times and just raves oh, yeah. about the place. Like said, yeah. it's off the charts. Like it, it caters for everything. You know, you've got beaches close by, especially near Dean's camp. You've got lefts and rights. 
various waves in different winds, you know, and supposedly Dean has updated his, um, his residency there, you know, in his resort, so to speak. And it's pretty mint. Yeah. That's what, um, I've seen it like he did a little clip on it and I haven't seen what it was. A few of the other guys have been, but yeah, it looks awesome. So yeah, man, I'm just pumped. I'm just pumped to like, just, you're just purely there to surf. Like there's just no, there's no other, I don't want to say, um, like things are getting away because, you know, I don't think kids get in the way, but you know what I mean? You just, you're just there purely to surf. That's just what we're there for. And, uh, and I haven't been able to do that for a long time. So even just having the feeling of being surfed out, I haven't felt that for a while. So I'm looking forward yeah, to Yeah, and just sitting there at the end of the day with mates, having beers, yeah. talking about the waves and doing it all over again. There's, exactly. You know, yeah. It's so healthy and it's just yeah. so, it's just like, it cleanses the mind almost because, you know, at home, for example, like you, you live a busy life and you've got two beautiful kids and, you know, the shy is getting busier and busier every day. Like you, mm. you get up, you go, go, go. If you can find 45 minutes in the day to somehow get some exercise in or a surfing or something, that's good. And then you just straight back in the trenches when you get home, you know, and, yeah. and not the trenches in like you're going to war, but you're, you're there supporting right. the family. You're there growing a the family. You're there, you know, influencing your kids' lives and, 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 that's your role. So when you do get those times away, like I went down to urban surf recently for the NMD wave pool mm. um, party. And man, like that Friday, I, I, my flights got canceled in the morning. Jetstar fucked me around. I was in the airport for like five hours just trying to get flights sorted, but it was all worth it. And and I, 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 I couldn't even wipe a smile off my face. I didn't even care when they told me my flight was canceled. I'll just get another one because you, you're, you're on that trip. You're on that, good time you're on the free time you're about to go get waves you're just like there's no better feeling if if, if you're a bodyboarder or surfer there really isn't any better feeling than having the unknown in front of you and knowing that you're just dedicating that time to spend in the ocean yeah yeah exactly i was gonna say the last time i felt surfed out was when i went to went down there to the wave pool um so yeah exactly like just being able to dedicate that time again yeah, uh, how, how was your time at the wave pool? Did you go left, right? Both, yeah. We um, went, yeah, went on the lefts and the rights. Um, the lefts, uh, like the heavy, I think it's the slab. Um, I did that on the bodyboard. The right, I did the slab on the bodyboard and surfboard. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Like, it's so much fun. It's so much oh. fun. Yeah, loved it. It's absolutely so loved cool. It. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I reckon, um, you know, this, especially with the left, I think when you're talking about like, you know, left and right and you might have taken the surfboard out in the right, um, I, I was I was kind of the same. You know, it seemed like – it doesn't seem soft at the right, but it seems like more – especially on your forehand, I guess, yeah. more um, easy to kind of navigate and a bit longer. And I've had discussions with various people, even Tyson Ryan, um, an amazing DK from up the sunny mm. coast, um, he was speaking about how – it, they're the same waves, but they give you complete different feelings. And the left seems kind of heavier and shorter and slabs a bit more where the right is kind of longer, but wraps a little bit more. If, if, if I, yep. if I would, would say so. And like the feeling man of coming in behind that wave pool and knowing you're on concrete and knowing it's going to do the same thing time and time again, like it's, you can get so playful out there. You oh, can yeah. just hone different things. Like some of the footage has already come out of the NMD wave pool party with, um, BP and Winnie and, you know, Charlie Holt and just 
next level riders, you see like you just see how how user friendly it is, you know, like that is the future there. Like scale that yeah. up and that that is the future, especially in competition. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just bizarre to um like when you walk through the gate and just see like these perfect waves in a pool and he's like, This is what you've dreamt about for like thirty years. That it's it was almost surreal to walk in and actually see it because he's like, I never thought in my lifetime I would actually see it, let alone be still young enough to enjoy it and use it. Um, and then you see the, like, you know, the modifications of different wave pools and what's happening around the place. And you're like, oh, man, this is just incredible that this is now a reality. It's just, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. It's and it's so only going to get better and better and yeah from more reports you know urban surf's amazing and i i'm i'm prof and i go back down in a heartbeat but when what what ben was saying at the wave pool obviously he really enjoyed his time there but compared to surf lakes and the way that oh, yeah. that plunger comes down um and obviously get four different waves the you know the way the facility shaped and engineered mm. you could you could put you know s- scale it up you can probably put more there but he, he said the waves that are there currently um, he said one of two things. He said the plunger allowed for more of a a long line swell feel, like an actual oh, yeah. wave instead of like a kind of a bit out the wave. Sorry, like it, down at Melbourne, it kind of pops up on you because you're right there. Yeah. And it just kind of comes out of the wall, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Where the plunger seems like the wave coming towards you, and it and you can it's more that natural feels feel. like you're. Not in the ocean, but it feels like a, a real wave coming to you. And then, secondly, yeah. um, he just said that you actually have to wrangle these barrels at surf lakes, where you, you're, you know, constantly adjusting, like almost like say, probably not as heavy. I mean, I, I can't speak from firsthand experience, but you know, say like one at surge at the island when you're coming down, you've got to wrangle it because you're. Mm. You're dealing with you know water getting pushed in different directions, or the unpredictability of it, or the way it's wrapping. He said it's almost it feels like that in the barrel where you've got your work cut out for you. At set at the wave pool at Urban, I felt like it was there for you to make every time. And if you didn't yeah. make that wave, you kind of just got too greedy and didn't read it properly. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Yeah, so I can't wait to see what he's talking about. Like we had Travis, um, the one of the entrepreneurs who started Surflakes on the potty, and like, you know, the way he was describing it, and the way he was just saying scale up, like don't think just three to four foot waves, think ten foot waves, yeah, think fifteen exactly. foot waves. Like, oh yeah. my god! Well, that's what, um, when I was down there, I was talking. I actually went with Kingy. We did a we did a one. It was, it was a really good group actually. There's about forty of us, um, and we hide out like down at the wave pool. Um, so we had. You know, Mitch Rawlins was there and Alex Leon and Moth Miller and a lot of guys, DeGraff was there. And um, But I was talking about with this king, he's saying, like, imagine, and it would take a lot of the skill and that out of it, but, you know, at this age, I don't really care, but just, like, standing up in, like, a 10-foot barrel or, um, or like, on the bodyboard, coming out and launching, like, being able to practice that. Like, it's just, I mean, you just don't even know what, like, where the sport both sports, surfing and bodyboarding, could go. Like it's just incredible what they what with that scale up allows people to be able to do. Like you saw what um like what um Jacob Romero was able to do over at Chile with that massive invert. 
you know, I don't know if you remember seeing it, but he did his. Oh, mate, it is. Yeah, it is. So like, just burnt into my head. And like hub, like imagine they could go out and just catch ten waves with a ramp like that. Imagine what hub could do, what Jerry could do, what um, yeah, it's just what Tanner could do. Like see what Tanner um, McDonald does over at um at the wedge. Yeah, like in yeah. California. Like imagine having these ten foot ramps. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> like you're, you're starting to dream, hey. But that's you're the starting thing. to and see like. like yeah, and then you think, okay, well, where's, where do they, you know, what can't they do? Like, yeah. talking about the, you know, Hub did a, a what was it, a, a um, 720. Shit, that was almost 20 years ago at, at Pipe. Imagine if you had, like, a 10-foot ramp you could practice on. You would do that, you know, in the within the first hour. Yeah, I know. Do it time and time again. I know, mm. and that also makes it more incredible, some of those moves that were done in, yeah, well, natural right. scenarios yeah. you know like yeah. going back to jacobs or even that air verse on the right at Eureka. like man that if people who don't bodyboard don't mm. fully understand what he's doing there because like that wave from all reports going to haven't been to chile but of good sources um especially jackie baker he went there and you know jack surfs a lot of heavy waves around home and doesn't mind having to go and and definitely puts his head down but like he said that reef is extremely gnarly you know, it's powerful, yep. it's moody, and for Jacob to just be launching legitimate ten foot airs off ten foot bowls, like yeah. you know, it, it's it, it defies gravity, it defies logic, and it defies like what a normal human being would want to do in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. I remember I'm surfing out the island with Jerry, with um Jared Houston, and like, and he's like, why don't you just hit the hit the air section? I'm like. What air section, mate? It's a barrel. He's like, what do you mean? Don't you just see the arrows pointing to the lip? I'm like, no. <laughs> Don't you see the arrows pointing to the reef? It's like a foot deep there, bro. <laughs> like, Was no. he talking he's about like, white roll? He's just talking about all of it. He's like, Don't you wow. just like want to hit it? I was like, No, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't different mind it. frames though, eh? Different mind frames, yeah. And I mean and he's one of the best aerialists, you know, that the sport's ever had. So sure. it's just a different mind game. So to think that he yeah, you know, what he would do with it. I mean, I don't know about now. He's got a couple of kids now, or he's got one, one with another one on the way. But yeah, you know, it's just all these things where the you know the next young guy that comes through that looks at it and can do it. Yeah, yeah. and it's only going to happen quicker and quicker with that progression yeah. in the sport. But talking yep. about um, talking about crazy airs and spectacles and and you know pushing bodyboarding further and further. In 2013, the APB hats off to Alex Leon. And mm. the crew there held an amazing comp at an undisclosed location down on the south coast. Um, oh yeah, every bodyboarder worth worth their salt would um would know what I'm talking about. But man, you wore a backstrap GoPro in one yeah. of the heats there, and I can remember vividly watching over and over again on repeat that GoPro clip of you coming down, spinning in. Baza baza baza, and then a nice flip out at the end. Can you just run me through that comp and, and even the logistics of getting there? Because you know we all know it's a hard place to get to. How did that comp come about, and, and what was the vibe there? Um, so it came about that yeah, I mean, um, the south coast, the um, yeah of New South Wales and the east coast of Australia, it's littered with waves. It's very very lucky. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the spots are hard to get to. Um, let alone trying to 
run a comp at them. So, I mean, the goal was always to at least have one day at this specific spot. Um, but it was, you know, it's always like, you know, it'd be like saying, oh, let's, it'd be good to get the island on, you know, April 3rd, 2026. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? But realistically, yeah, let's keep all options open. So anyway, Yeah. that <laughs> was always kind of the goal. Uh, and... Um, We'd run, we'd run, I think one day or two, no, one day actually, um, at a, at a really fun beachy, a little bit north of that, um, which was really good. And then the call kind of went out that afternoon that we're going to try and head down to this particular spot. And it's more like be down there, you know, they had the local government helping. So that was good. There, there are trails to get in obviously for, um, for fires and that, unfortunately, like there's a lot of bushfires and that down that area. So they do have, um, you know, bushfire tracks and all that kind of thing. So they did have ways of getting things in there, but it'd be, it'd be a real kind of, I guess, low-key comp. You know, there wasn't the scaffolding or anything like that. It was the generator. There was the tent with the judges in it. Um, everyone, make your own way there. Yeah. And we we're all going to sit on the rocks and, and watch. And, and it, uh, uh, unbelievably, it happened. And we had – the waves were sick. So much fun. Like, I remember surfing this wave um, – We did a billabong trip down there in um, 2001 and I was like, oh my God, this is like a bodyboarder has, has made this wave. Like this is just perfect, perfect for bodyboarding. Um, so yeah, so the, the thought of having a comp there was awesome. But yeah, and then the waves were really fun. Um, you know, it's good barrels, good air sections. It's just a, the vibe, it was just sick. It was just, it wasn't even like a competition, you know what I mean? Like everyone was just cheering everyone on. You know, we had the GoPros on, so there was a little bit of banter about who's going to get the best clip and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely epic. And it was a really good time. Again, the tour was absolutely booming at that stage. Um, yeah, they had a really good um, crew. They had a really good webcast. Um, yeah, it was a really, really good time. Yeah, I got to, uh, you know, just want to stop it there and, and, and just give a huge shout out to Alex Leon on the work he did with the APB and Terry McKenna and, and everyone who was, you know, involved in it during that, that probably seven or eight year period. Like they were, well, those comps in my eyes were just pristine. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were so good to watch. They promoted bodyboarding in the best way and fashion Like you could see the skill of the riders that were held at locations that provided, you know, the viewership and, and showed, you know, like looking back on those clips again, man, like 2013, I was in awe. I was just loving it. I'd obviously surf that wave as, as you know, many bodyboarders have, but yeah, to see it like that, so offshore, so clean, the best bodyboarders in the world there, that's what it needs to be. And, you know, when you go back to Grand Canary at Fronton, you see it yeah. time and time again at Eureka, see it at pipe when you go to certain locations the island it showcases bodyboarding in such such a magnificent way where it, it it puts it on the pedestal and where it should be when you're, you're risking your life on some of those remote crazy locations so you know for me that that apb um period you know was mm. was was peak boogan especially competitive bodyboarding yeah yeah and that's also um definitely like a, a testimony to um, you know, to Alex and, and the whole um, crew that ran it, like they, they did awesome. But it was also a great time in, in um, you know, within the sport of the riders. Like they all lifted, um, you know, and 
like I said, when Fronton was booming, like you got Pierre and Amore and that who were just going absolutely nuts. Um, Jerry, um, you know, like the guys really lifted to the occasions as well and really um, put on a show that, um, you know, you could all just sit back and just absolutely admire and, and um, enjoy you know, and, and being the writer's been able to do that, I, you know, I'm sure that the people watching online, you know, felt the same thing. As, uh, oh, yeah, they it did, man. Time. It was full talk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can remember, like, it's on 2013, I was I was 23, and, and I can remember, like, paddling out local reef breaks or spots and talking about that for, for months mm-hmm. to come. I remember even talking to Strachan about it because he was – um, he was the work crew on, on that comp and he just said, oh man, it was a mission getting in there and getting all the gear in and whatever, but it was so worth it because it was just, it was a momentous occasion for bodyboarding. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was epic. It was epic. It was really good. And so, you know, just touching on Sam, man, and it yeah. reminded me of the, the time you spent um, with him at Turbo and, you know, with Jake oh, Romero yeah. and Jerry and Kingy, yep. you know, and, and that time was was um was i guess it was quite up and down because you know turbo came onto the scene um and took the sport by sport really i took the took took the um the the sport sorry by um by the scruffers neck so to speak and just kind of like blew it into the stratosphere with the injection of money and the professionalism and um you know the team you guys had and and i know you're obviously part of the um, business side of things too with your role there, but obviously you're still a very um, respected athlete on the team. Like what was that journey like and, and, and how did it end up? Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good, that was a really good um, period of my life. Um, it came about, I was, what was I doing? I was actually working in the surf shop at the airport, Sydney airport. Um, just doing, uh, I was the store manager at the beach culture surf shop. Anyway, Greg Taylor, um, who owned who owned who had bought the rights to Turbo and had revamped it with him and um, and his brother, Glenn, um, he came through. He said, "Oh, you know, we just got talking and he said, oh, you know, would you be interested in working back in bodyboarding?" I was like, you know, and at this stage, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd been out of the sport for about three or four years. I'd been burned a bit by with things that happened at Manta, and I was just like. Oh, you know, yeah, I would. Like, you know, I'm working in a surf shop at the airport. Like, What yeah. was his time frame, Andrew, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, God. Um, this would have been maybe 2009? No, hang on. What year are we in now? 2014? 2024? <laughs> 23? The... No, it would have been, yeah, it would have been around 2008, 2009, maybe? Yep. Shit, I don't know. I'll have to go to the memories for that. Anyway, um, so yeah, and yeah, and then we, he said, well, look, here's my number, he lived in, he lives, you know, not far in the Southern Shire as well, so we ended up meeting up, and I, I came on as a team, as a sales, sales rep, um, slash team manager, and, uh, and, and that one all went, re- went really well, and yeah, we got, Sam actually did really well in the trials, he was riding for toys at the time, and he won the Shark Island trials. And I was down there and I, was, and I mentioned to Greg saying that, um, you know, there's a good young kid from Cronulla and worth keeping an eye on. And um, 
I said, he's going in the trials and kept him updated. And I said, oh, I, yeah, he's just won the shark on the trials. It's like, right. Man, I remember that day. <laughs> Put him I'm, on. I'm, I was like, yeah, you nailed it. I'm, I remember him winning the trials. I remember him winning the trials against Tom Smith in the final and a couple other individuals. Um, yeah. And yeah, dude, he was, he was absolutely ripping. I remember us all down there on the rocks with, you know, a couple of cases of JD just going ham in true <laughs> Cronulla fashion and just like, slagging any other competitor and just cheering for him so it was yeah i remember that time really well yeah yeah so that was really good um locally and then yeah we had a had an awesome team so jerry he had been at science he was already signed to turbo he had been for science and then i think he got third or fourth in the pipe event yeah i remember Um, that big inverted back door huge yeah yeah so he had gone so i don't know if i actually signed any of the top like, you know, the top guys, I think they may have already been there. Um, anyway, but yeah, it was, it was such an awesome time. And then, you know, and even just getting to, to meet um, Jacob and Jerry and obviously I know, I'd known Kingy really well for a long time, but getting to meet those guys and they're a little bit younger and just seeing their careers come through and just, um, you know, the type of surfing they were doing was just incredible. Like I was absolutely in awe of their abilities, um, especially in the air. Like both of those guys were phenomenal. And then it just came about. So I was I was more on that side of things, and then I was still competing here and there. And then I um, well, not here and there. I must have, I was competing because I got back into it, obviously, because I was, started working for Turbo. So I started um, getting back into it and did the Aussie Tour and ended up winning the Aussie Tour. Um, and that was back in the to qualify for the World Tour, you had to you had to do well in your regional tour. There was a few different things you had to do. You had to do well in your regional tour. You had to do well in the qualifying, the qualifying tour, and there was one else, maybe a trials or something. Anyway, so I won the I won the um, the Australian tour, and then at that stage in my life, I was engaged, and that um, relationship broke down. So Greg said, "Well, you know, get away from here, go to the Azores. There's a couple of events on, and then and go to Fronton, and just kind of get away from you know." basically from life, uh, you know, here in Australia. So I did that. I went with, um, with my best mate, Grant Truvel. He was a, he's a photographer. So he Chucky. went over to Chucky, absolute legend. So he went over to, um, like to, to shoot for the, for the, um, for the comps. So we went over there and, and, you know, like I said, it was just more to get away from, you know, all the drama and that that was on at home. And I went to Azores and I ended up coming third. I got third to Pierre, I think in that or second. I don't know, second or third in, in that event. And like the last day, like I wasn't even thinking about the comps. Like we had a massive party the night before of the last day because that's all that would happen a lot of the time. You would, um, everyone who loses prior to the finals day goes out and has a massive party. So it's kind of almost annoying to, to do well in the comp because you're like, missing out on the good times at the party. So anyway, we, <laughs> we partied that night and I almost missed my semi. Um, no, my quarter. I almost missed my quarter. It's like, what? You were sleeping in? Yeah, we got home at like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Oh goodness! Um, yeah, so I rolled out of bed and we surfed this this little wave in the Azores, and it was right under rocks. And I had, I was still like I was maggot, and um, I remember I got this wave <laughs> and I did a couple of rolls and literally like ended up on the rocks, and I had bruises on my knee, on my thighs and knees for ages afterwards because I just kind of rode up onto the rocks. Um, but I got through that heat, and then. So it must have been the semis club. I wouldn't have been able to beat Pierre even at the best times, let alone still drunk. 
Um, so yeah, so I got knocked out. So I got a third there. And then I think I had to... Dude, that's a great result, being off your head, getting home at 5 a.m. and yeah. then having you know, physical injuries from the comms. Still getting <laughs> the third. Well, I mean, it was only legit. really the one heat that I was drunk. I didn't serve the whole event drunk, but it was only really the one heat. But yeah, exactly. I was, and again, like I said, it was probably just because I was in that frame, frame of mind that um, I didn't care if I won or lost. And because of that, I kind of did well. And again, same, and the same thing happened. Um, so I got third there, and then I think I had to get third in the trials, third or better in the trials, to qualify for the tour, and I was like, you know, as if that's going to happen. And anyway, just kept making heats, just kept making heats, kept making heats, making heats, until I got to the final. And then in the final, it was me, Tom Rigby, Rawlins, and another guy. So I had to get third or better. Um, and so and the, and Tom and Mitch had already qualified, and I, said, and I got him before the final. I said, listen, if if I'm coming fourth. You have to drop in on me. I cannot get fourth. I have to get third or better. And we'll just like laughing and that and then end up, <laughs> yeah. And then the final end up like doing quite well and end up winning the, the um, trials as well. So, and from there, and then I, so I qualified onto the world tour. So it was just a, like a really bizarre kind of thing. So I kind of went from team manager slash, well, sales manager slash team manager to then like, oh no, you're part of the team now. You're on the world tour. And That's kind of, crazy. You yeah, almost revamped your career, man, after well, then, the, yeah, the mishaps yeah, so at Mansa and everything, and you're, you're back where you, you should be. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a real, um, like, sliding doors moment, because literally, like, you know, three weeks earlier, I was, you know, preparing for a wedding to then being in the Canaries and just requalifying. It was a, it was a bizarre um, turn of events. What a great but call from a, Turbo just to be like, hey, you're going through a rough drop personally. Let's just put that aside and go do what you love and go yeah. bodyboard. And you just yeah, nailed exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, um, yeah, I was forever grateful for, um, yeah, for Greg to kind of see that and um, allow me to do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. But it was just, it was a really good time. And, you know, and having, like I said, having my best mate Chucky there um, was incredible. It was a really, it was a really, really good time. So yeah, and then that kind of so that kind of kicked on the the tour again for a couple more years, which was nice. Wow, um, wow! And then man, I got to had... and then I, yeah, and then I got to meet like and then not meet, but you know start to hang out a bit more with those with the younger guys like Pierre and um, and Amori and um, and it was it was really nice because the second time around I got to enjoy it a bit more. It wasn't so um, uh, results driven. Yeah, and I got to go to some beautiful places and just kind of enjoy them. Not really get caught up in too much on the results. Um, Isn't it funny how when you let your mind go mentally, you know, so many athletes say that when the result doesn't matter, you get into that flow state like we, we touched on at the start of the podcast of just going surfing, getting it done, read the wave, no emotions. But when you're in your own head about, oh, this sponsor's going to drop me if I don't get this result and I need a third here because I want to get on the world tour again, blah, blah, blah. It, all the mind games start happening. Yeah, fully. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Uh, I used I watched a, there was a Kelly Slater movie he did after he won his eighth world title called Letting Go, and it's just so interesting. Like he got to a point in Tahiti where he's like, I didn't care if I won or lost, and because I didn't care if I won or lost, I would win. And it was and it's it's like you said, it's kind of true with it, within anything. Once you um kind of get outside your head and just let let nature takes its course, generally, it 
takes its course in the right way. So yeah. Yeah, Very, and the skill that you've well, yeah, developed over yeah, the last twenty skill. years, you just or fifteen, you just call upon and you're like, I'm doing it. I was I was mm. meant to do this. Yeah. So yeah, that was really cool. And that was like you said, that was a pretty golden golden era for the sport with the webcasts and all that kind of thing. And yeah, it really uh they did a really great job. And then what happened with Turbo Man? You know, there's so many conflicting stories and you don't have to go into so much detail, but like how did that, that saga end? Because it was such a peak and then it was, it was such a valley. Yeah, so we, the distribution of the boards, because, you know, that was, it was hard to get outside of the bodyboarding stores. It was hard to get um, penetration into, you know, like surf diving skis or, um, and I'm just using the Australian stores but um you know trying to just get distribution in so uh, they aligned with a um a surfing company um a surfing distribution company um global surf industries and um they took on the distribution and kind of had probably didn't realize how difficult it was going to be so they their expectations were um quite high um ordered a lot of boards and thought it'd be really great and then realized that it's it's not easy trying to get, um, you know, a new high-end board brand, not even new, but a, a high-end board brand into a, a company or into surf shops that have been dealing with, you know, other brands like Stealth and, you know, NMD or Moray or whoever, Manta, who had just gone and just undercut everyone, getting all the boards made in China. Um, it's difficult to try and get in there because there was like, well, why, you know, there's, there's such a small market for high-end body boards. Um, and then for a, for a regular surf shop, a low-end bodyboard, they're all made out, they, they just look at it as being all made out of the same factory, different logo, you know, I've been buying off whoever for 20 years, why would I change? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that just kind of took the wind out of the sails, really, and that was it. They pretty much, you know, carved it. And so, what was the, what was the time frame for that? So when that deal was signed with the distribution... Oh. How long until the wheels started to fall off? Good question. That would have been... I'm terrible with years. They all blur in. Um, that would probably would have been maybe 2000 and... 13? 2014? It wasn't far after. Okay. It wasn't far after the South Coast comp, maybe the following year. Yep. Hmm. When was mm. that? When did you say that was? That was 2013. So it would have been around 2013. Yeah, 2014. Yep. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, because then I would have met my yeah I met my fiance when I just because then from there, and then I was like oh well, that's kind of it. I'll go. So I started writing for Mitch Rawlins for Found, just sick, um, and then I met my fiance. So that and that that's coming up to almost nine years. So yeah, and so that's in there. 2014. You won the Shark Island Challenge on a Found board, hey. Big so kudos been, to Mitch there. Yeah. <laughs> so that would have been around <laughs> 2013 then, the turbo thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, mm. it's so cool to, to, you know, just to go back over it all because you yeah. you just you, you easily forget this stuff, you know. Like this has been, this podcast has been a history lesson, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm terrible with dates, but I, I've, but it's good as they start talking. I remember I remember certain things and events. Like I said, I'm, I'm not great with what years they were happened, but. Um, but there were definitely, yeah, certain events and, and it's good. A lot of the events that you've spoken about, I, I was a part of, so I was very lucky to, um, you know, to be able to be a part of it. And then also 
shed some light on it. So that's good. Yeah, but the it's sport really was also lucky to have you as a part of them too, man. I'll be, just to round this potty out, man, I'd like to ask mm. you two final questions. One being yeah. your um, finest moment on tour and the second one being your lowest moment on tour. Or even just like not just on tour itself, it could be just bodyboarding. Your the last two decades, what was the highest moment and what was the lowest moment? Oh, jeez, highest moment. Um, I really hold hold um, like in terms of events, the Shark Island win was always um, will always be my favorite um the waves weren't obviously as big as other years or anything like that but i think just because i'd been doing it for so long living here i just i feel like i just needed to tick that box i just needed i i had to win it (laughs) and also Um, you've been one of the standouts if not the standout out there for decades man like you know especially for my generation looking up as soon as you paddled out we, we knew some magic was going to happen, so I could only imagine that you wanted to get the monkey off your back, so to speak, and be like, that's, that's my hometown. Yeah, exactly right. It was about getting the monkey off the back. Like, um, uh, yeah, I just kind of feel like, uh, you know, especially now, not running as, well, hasn't ran for a little while. You know, had I, had I not got that, it was, it, it's always weighed on me that I never won a world title. Um, the ISA Games was, was a big deal for me. Uh, and I probably, because I had that early success, like winning pipe, um, you know, at 20, the world games was at 24 or 23. I probably, I probably just assumed that the world title was just going to come and it just didn't. So I, that's always kind of weighed on me. Um, but yeah, the, the, the shark island ones was a, was a pretty massive one. Yeah, dude, I, I remember just... celebrating with you at Sting Bar when your name <laughs> yeah. got called out and Crispy was, um, Michael Crisp was the MC. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Michael Crisp, absolute legend. I've learned a lot of that bloke in regards to public speaking and just commentating. But I remember that night so well, and mm. I can just remember you holding up the um, the trophy and like you were covered in beer and you were like shaking your mm. forearms and 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 hands with this thing and, and like you could just tell that was yeah. that was like you know the ultimate moment. Yeah, yeah, that was. In terms of the lows, there's not, I mean, the injuries have been pretty, I mean, injuries come and go. I was pretty lucky throughout my career to um, not have too many injuries, but they've been pretty hard to take. Um, I mean, and doing them both at Shark Island too, it's like it had been so good to me all that long. And then it's like, nah, smack you down. Oh, you're back here. I'll smack you down again. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, um, yeah, they've been pretty difficult. But, you know, like I don't really have any regrets in terms of like competing um, I did have what a blow about up. At, I did have a blow up at John Shaw once uh, out at Shark Island comp in the Shark Island comp. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, yeah. What so happened? Just, he he was on the inside, and it was just one of those ones where sometimes you can paddle for a wave, and um, and it kind of, as you would know, like it can kind of section down, but just on the other side of it is makeable. So if you take off on the white, like inside. You just can't get around it, and yeah. it's fair. Oh, yeah. like, and it just happens. And it's yeah, you know, a lot of people try and do it, and they just can't, and they wreck the wave. Anyway, he he was in that position, and he 
and it, and I was and I I knew he was I knew he wasn't going to be able to make it, but with competition, you think, oh, maybe they'll just try. And just as I like pulled off, he pulled he pulled off on it. I was like, fuck you, John! I can't believe you did that. And I had a go. So that was I was always kind of like, oh no, I wish I didn't do that. Um, yeah, but heat of the moment competition. Yeah, exactly. No, no, and you Yeah, and Chuckle, and you're weighing up to an interference going like, if I fucking go yeah, yeah, here, yeah. I could get my score hard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a full crucial moment. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've always kind of like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. And because John, like, he's, you know, he's such a legend of a person, such a good rider. I was always like, oh, I wish I never did that. I did apologise him to it, the after party thing. But, um, but yeah, no, there hasn't really been any, like, you know, to, well, if there has been loads, I've forgotten about them, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Yeah, You've been yeah. focused on the positive. I probably, my only, um, not negative, but I just wish I'd probably invested a little bit more back into the, the youth of the bodyboarding within the Shire a bit more. But it was a difficult oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, with the Emerald comps and that, like when I was growing up, we used to have the comps at the beaches and it was a really good vibe. Um, you know, I probably could have, put back into the sport a bit more locally I, I wish i'd done that a bit more but i guess it was hard you know fighting your own demons of competing and then um yeah and then life just gets in the way it's hard to and being burnt by you know with um with manta it kind of puts a bit of a sting in your in your mouth but yeah that's probably my only things where i wish i probably put a invested a bit more of my time and, and energy back into you know trying to grow or not even grow just support and continue to you know see young guys come through but i guess it's just the nature of the beast yeah look man i yeah. i understand where you're coming from with that and i you know i admire you saying that because it shows your humility and just shows you're a, a general a genuinely kind person but like i think also to the timing of the whole scenario with bodyboarding like you, you were kind of coming towards the end of your career when the sport was kind of coming towards the end of its peak you know in the last five mm. years have almost been the dark ages so to speak so you know like i understand where you're coming from but at the same time it's i don't know if There's if anyone could <laughs> yeah, yeah you know it's 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 crazy you know the, yeah. the way i it's it's so hard to cop because you know I, and that's why one of the main reasons of starting this podcast and trying to get articles and 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 um just media out there because People still need to know good shit, good stuff's going on. Because the last five years really has been, mm. especially in Australia, like as, as you would know, fuck, it's been, it's been, it's been like we've quiet, gone through a recession. Yeah. 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 And I, I guess COVID doesn't help with a lot of things, but you know, it's good, you know, with NMD doing the, you know, Benny and Winnie doing the pool party and Mitch did one a little while ago and, um, yeah, it's just, no, there's, and even like, uh, it's not really with the younger guys, but the vintage bodyboards and, there's that page on Facebook and it's, you know, that's thriving. Um, yeah. You know, guys who are, who are a bit older now, like, you know, my age or a little bit, you know, between my age and your age and even a little bit older, um, you know, they're just frothing out on their old boards and you see, you know, old mores pop up and they're going for 600 bucks or a thousand bucks. And it's kind of like now that we're in a, in a position where you can, the guys can spend a bit of money and, it's almost like it's it's revamped that, but there's nothing coming through. It's just like the frothers from that from the nineties and the two um, thousands are frothing again. Yeah, yeah, it's almost full cycle. It's almost like yeah. they've gone they've gone from like CDs and then they've gone to audio files and then you know Spotify, but now they're back on vinyl. 
Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're loving it. Got, and they're getting back into yeah. it. Like you, hear, you see a lot of them saying, yeah, took this board out, had it, you know, 15 years and it's getting back in the water and you now I'm taking my kids with me. And so it's, it's kind of cool seeing that. So maybe that will be the, the next revamp, you know, when their kids, when our kids are 10, 12, 13, if there's still bodyboards to be bought, um, maybe that will be the next kind of boom. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Fingers, fingers yeah. and toes crossed because we, we need something. But we are getting that. You know, we always talk about the negative, but even me now the pool party um last week, just seeing the the younger groms coming through and a couple of ones that definitely keep your eye on. So oh, as long as um partying and surfing don't snag them up, I think we've we've got a bright future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you know, there'll hopefully always be guys out bodyboarding. You know, if they're not doing 15 foot airs or 20 foot airs then yeah, so be it they don't have to they're out there enjoying it as long as there's a few yeah. left rip bowls or a few right rip bowls on a beach somewhere then happy days what 100 percent, yeah <laughs> and the you know we all know the bodyboard is one of the most functional crafts in the ocean when it comes to any sort of condition you know what i mean you one foot shore is to 10 foot heavers it's going to be yeah. it's it's going to be prominent for ages and it's a great learning tool for someone to enter the ocean with you know like it's a great starting point yeah exactly you hear a lot of people say oh you know a lot of the top surfers and that say yeah you got into the water on the bodyboard and you know they progressed but you know still the entry point is on a bodyboard so that's good keep them coming yeah 100 percent. i'm sure tom murray tom morrow will not be rolling in his grave let's put it that way on that statement yeah exactly Man, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the potty, Andy. Like, it's been such a pleasure. We've wanted to have you on for so long. Um, I didn't want to be too biased with any of the local Cronulla folk too early on. I wanted to get a, a wide <laughs> range of guests, but you've been heavily requested and uh, hasn't disappointed, man. We've gone over an hour and a half here, and we've literally just geez. covered so many memories and so many moments. And I know a lot of um, viewers are going to get uh, a real big kick out on. So They probably tuned you. out about half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll actually have, I've, I've, I've... It was all a pipe dream. Watching bodyboarding up on TV. Deep at reef, watching tension repeats. Eating bakery feeds at 18, living the dream.